2: into another edition of the five reasons podcast my name is chris whittingham joined as always by ethan skolnick as you do each and every sunday into monday we recap the football weekend in south florida and we will begin with the Miami Dolphins. We'll close with the University of Miami. We want to c- cover them more as the week goes on, as we're now into FSU week. But the Dolphins came into the day with a massive opportunity to take a big lead in the division. You saw the Jets and the Bills lose elsewhere. If the Dolphins had won today, they'd have a three-game lead atop the AFC East. Instead, they lay a complete egg, losing in New England by a score of 38-7. to And, Ethan, where we want to begin our recap of this one is really just the opportunity that went begging. And I think now... It invites questions about everything that's happened in the first three weeks with this Dolphins team. Invitations of questions. Are they fraudulent? Stephen A. Smith, you know, declaring his intent in that area. Uh, Teddy Bruschi had to go with the Dolphins as well, saying, this is the Dolphins I'm familiar with seeing in Foxborough. And frankly, you can't argue with that. This is a Dolphins team that has not won in Foxborough, really in the entirety of the Tom Brady era. When you consider that in 08, they won in the Wildcat game when uh, Matt Castle was the quarterback and in an 06. It was a week 17 game game that New England was not taking seriously and Matt Castle quarterback most of that one as well so really they've only beaten Matt Castle in New England and I think it really sort of raises those questions again about how real was the start are they actual legitimate contenders to even get to the playoffs and how serious of a threat are they and while
0: you might have had those thoughts even before today the performance and the result only reinforces it. Yeah, and somebody shouldn't write a column again for Dolphin Maven that the Dolphins are finally ready for this until the Dolphins are actually ready for this. And so that was my mistake this morning, as was scheduling a watch party for a Dolphins-Patriots game where people are texting before halftime and saying, yeah, we'll come to the next one. Uh, You know, look, (laughs) that's the frustration with this team is that they did have an opportunity today. And they had an opportunity to really bury the Patriots in this division. And I know you say, well, they could have gotten up from it. But the reality is that the Patriots have started slow in a lot of previous seasons, and it it is almost by design. Belichick is known for not putting in everything in training camp. He wants his guys to master stuff before he moves on to the next thing. And so often they're very vanilla early in their seasons, and they get off to slow starts but the thing is if they started 1 and 3 and the dolphins started 4 and 0 oh, and the dolphins would have won in new england that's not just a three game lead that's not just a three and a half game lead that's like a four to four and a half game lead in the yeah. division because you've already won the road game and and now you're going to have them come down to your place at, later in the year and so it's just a huge wasted opportunity but the biggest reason in my view it's a wasted opportunity is because all of the fan enthusiasm that was built up over the first three weeks, not just because the Dolphins were winning, but because they were playing with flair. And there was an excitement about them. I was listening to our, the light Skin opinions podcast uh, in our network yesterday. And those guys were talking about it. They're like, I like the trick plays. I like, I like the speed. I like, this is a dolphin team. We're not used to seeing. And I think that's what was attracting people to this team was, it was like, okay, yeah, they beat three teams that aren't expected to go anywhere. Although the Titans defense has been great when they haven't played the dolphins this year, but, you know but you still said it's the way that they did it. it it's the high impact plays the game changing plays and so you thought okay if you could get a little of that in this game then you can extend that narrative and now that's just gone it's just gone because uh, because the way that they played today like i was looking at it and i'm like okay so who played well like yeah. you know i put out i put out on on dolphin maven twitter i'm like okay kiko alonso i'm watching back some of the game now and Kiko alonso, this is where stats lie he had 12 tackles he had a terrible day a terrible day he just got he kept, <laughs> he kept getting blown up okay if you watch Sonny michelle's big runs in the game you'll find kiko chasing on everyone okay we're missing a tackle and so and i'm and so i posted this and somebody tweeted and, and they're correct who had a good day
2: yeah who had a, no I, I i turned around to alfredo of three yards per carry and i said hey did the dolphins do anything well today And he was mounting – it was a credible argument. Like, you go back into the first quarter and a half of the game, and the Dolphins got stops on multiple occasions, but they were negated by penalties – of kind of questionable credibility. Like, I don't know if, you know, the the holding on Xavier Howard or the illegal contact on Xavier Howard were really that heinous of offenses that warranted penalties. And so I would say that was kind of the only stretch that felt positive. But, Ethan, you were telling me before, because obviously we're at a watch party, I'm doing pregame and halftime, and so you don't really get to devote your unabided attention to just watching the game and sort of taking notes. And so we watch the YouTube highlights that the NFL puts out, which is basically... Every big play that happens in the game, whether it's a tackle for loss or a a first down game, they put it in that YouTube package. It was six minutes and 50 seconds, and there were no Dolphins offensive plays. So... Next right. to nothing on offense went well. And defensively, you can say maybe went well for a quarter and a half where they're holding Tom Brady. And in general, they, they looked like they were doing well to get off the field. But then that collapsed uh, about midway through the second quarter as well. There were almost no redeeming qualities about this performance. And like you were saying from, from our guys with the LSO and just in general, the attitude about this Dolphins is that it felt different. This felt so ultimately familiar and why if you're a Dolphins fan when Stephen A. Smith tweets out hashtag same old Dolphins when Teddy Bruschi says hey this is like every Dolphins team I've seen in
0: Foxborough for 15 years you have no retort because this is so familiar it is and think back to the Baltimore game last year because that's the one that this reminded me of sure you know it's just where where you just accomplish nothing I mean and and you mentioned when you sent me that highlight package you know to catch up on this because I did DVR the game and I did watch it live but as you said, when you're, you know, handling a watch party, you can hear my voice too. I'm not feeling the best today. Uh, you know, I mean, when, when you're sit, you know, you're watching this, um, you know, you don't really have a chance, as you said, to study it. So I, I thought maybe you just sent me the Patriots offensive plays. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it like, okay, where is Tannehill? Because every play is Brady and Michelle and 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 Gordon and Gronk until he went out and, and all the rest of them. And, and there's no Dolphins offensive plays. And there's not a Dolphins offensive play that I can even remember in this game, period. And, and and so you just got nothing out of anybody. And the day kind of started on a down note. You know, I mean, you start with the inactives. And I really thought Rashad Jones was going to play this week. and yeah. And then he didn't. And it's critical that he plays. We've seen that in the last two weeks. It just screws everything else up. When he doesn't and the other guy who didn't play and I don't want to devote a lot of time to this because I feel like we're devoting too much time to Devonte Parker because I just don't feel like he's a big part of this team anymore. And I just feel like we're we're dwelling on it because he was a first round pick and we were celebrating the fact that he had two catches last week. But I mean, the reality is it is deflating. It, it's deflating because this was a guy who was supposed to be able to help you to get you some separation down the field. A big receiver and a big, you know, a, you know, that kind of target with that kind of ability and he's just not someone you can count on to play at all, okay? And and, and when he plays, you can't count him on to fight for the ball. So it, I thought those two things happening, you, you didn't have Branch playing. You know, we're going to talk more about the injuries and, and the Hayes and Sitton because I think they missed both of those guys badly today. But uh, the reality is this is not a great Patriot team. It's a Patriot team that was reeling. Gordon doesn't know the playbook completely. Gronk left the game early. Edelman isn't back. OK, they've got maybe mm-hmm. three even close to elite defensive players. now. They, were, they were
2: soundly beaten
0: by a Lions team that I don't think anyone believes is any good. Uh, that's not going to make the playoffs. Okay. In the NFC, I, I don't think the lions have any chance to make the playoffs and you had a chance to go up, as I said, three games, which really would have felt like four games in the AFC East and you do nothing well, like just give me something, like yeah. something, something that was an extension of the first three games. And what's interesting about this, Chris, I, I got to say it. The three yards per carry guys all called this, all of them. Um, they had, look, they're the ones that had the dolphins as a nine or 10 win team this year. That like their off season, and all three of them picked against the Dolphins this week. And CK basically looked at the matchups and and well, a couple things. One, he said Adam Gase teams are not good on the road. I mean, that's a very simplistic thing, but that's pretty much it, true. It, I mean, it, they're worn out so far. It, it's worn. I mean, they're a totally different team at home. And so he just he's he said, look, there are some games they play reasonably well, and there are other games they're just awful. And this was one of those games. The other thing he said was that from a matchup perspective, the things that the dolphins were not doing well last year, particularly on defense, they're still not doing well. And they just hadn't been exploited that much in the first three games. And the Patriots, if there's something that you don't do well, the Patriots, they they, they know about it and they will exploit it. They will exploit it. And they exploited it today. And we saw it again. Uh, We're going to touch more on the defense, but the tackling, from the linebackers in particular, the open space in the middle of the field um, and Sony Michelle getting out on the edge and being able to make plays there. And that's another thing, you know, I look, I liked him a lot at Georgia. He's a local guy. Okay. We're familiar with him. I, he was a guy I thought maybe the dolphins should even look at as a complimentary back to, to Drake, but he has not done much the first three weeks of the season. No. And today the dolphins let him get off. And so everything that could have gone wrong. I even we have we haven't even said Ryan Tannehill's name yet. No. but the reality the reality is, I mean, just again, numbers don't always say everything. Eleven of twenty, a hundred yards, five yards per attempt, the one pick, two sacks, and a forty seven point nine rating. I mean, I, I'm not going to look at Osweiler's numbers. I don't care, okay. they, and, they came and, and
2: they, to, to me, the thing for Tannehill is that, and I don't mean to be harsh and I don't mean to be I told you so, guy, but. I feel like that's that, most of that performance is who Ryan Tannehill has been actually for a majority of this season. They don't get that many first downs. It really is almost entirely dependent on the big plays that they create, and and we saw it in the game against the Raiders. Almost every touchdown they scored was on a big play. They weren't on you know engineered drives. It was a 52-yarder on a double reverse. It was a 76-yarder on a receiver sweep. It was a 37-yarder to Kenny Stills, which were amazing throws, both his throw to, to, to Stills and to Parker, but... They're entirely relying on big plays, and they tried to go for them again today, and there was just nothing there. And to me, the thing that was so disorienting was that – you mentioned the things that the Dolphins are weak at – I think a lot of people had pointed to very obvious things that the Patriots are weak at,
3: mm-hmm. being
2: short on receiving targets, unable to run the football, short on team speed, and just in general, unable to do much, uh, 31st against the run. There were obvious weaknesses coming into the day that you can be got at with this Patriots team, and the Dolphins are, like, you, you would figure, right? With receivers like Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson, and Kenny Steels, with a running back like Kenyon Drake out of the backfield against a slow defense, why mm. wouldn't they just have open space all over the field and be able to exploit it like it was easy? Like It seemed like the Dolphins' offense again was playing in a phone booth and that they were the slower team. How is that possible with so many fast players on the field?
0: Well, maybe there are times on the road that Adam Gase just doesn't know how to use them. I, I mean, I, you know, we, we have to start looking at this a little bit. I mean, this sure. road record with Adam Gase, I mean, that, the sign of look the sign of good coaching is is it is it traveling, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, that's is being able to take what you're doing at home when you're feeding off the crowd and being able to implement similar things on the road. And, look, this is another thing that came up today on a DM string. Uh, you know, Simon Clancy from 3 Yards Per Carry also does some work for the Maven. And Simon asked Adam Gase uh, last year about this idea of calling plays and, and also running the team. And Adam Gase got very snippy with him. And it reminded me of 2007 where I wrote a column about Cam Cameron when Cam got the job. And I talked to all of Cam's mentors, okay, all of whom told me that it was a bad idea for Cam to call the plays. Not because he was a bad play caller, but because your primary responsibility as a head coach is to uh, run the team, okay, and to not neglect the defense, not to gl- neglect the special teams, not to neglect the motivational stuff. To run the team, not not be in charge of dealing with this. And what we've seen is Adam Gase did some really cool things last week, and we talked about them, okay. That uh, whatever that double reverse throw, I mean, really nice stuff, really well executed. We praised him for that, and I'm not going to take back any of that praise. That was great stuff. But what we've also seen is when things are not going well for the Dolphins in a game, particularly on the road, I don't know that Adam Gase has shown the ability to adjust. I, I feel like you know one of the criticisms of a guy that I you know has, to me has proven it and that I defend all the time, Eric Spolstra. But one of the criticisms of him that I think has some validity is that sometimes Spo will get stubborn in games, and it will take him. Sometimes he's gotten stubborn in series, Chris. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, remember. We talk about this one all the time, but the 2011 series where the corpse of Mike Bibby was starting the first five games until he finally played Chalmers against Berea. And Chalmers had, 20, I think, 21 or 22 in that last game. And, you know, and but it wasn't enough because, I mean, LeBron was comatose. But, but by then, OK, but, <laughs> but that was, you know, one of the things with spolsters is that sometimes it will take some time for him to come around to something. And it often doesn't happen in that game. And and sometimes the fix is ultimately great. Like where Spo decided with Bosch out, okay, we're going to ultimately, after he went through three other iterations, he's like, you know what? We're just going to put Shane at the four. Okay. And roll with that. But I feel like with Gase, like it doesn't happen during games. Like how many games have we looked back at with Adam Gase as the coach? And again, I'm focusing on the road now. I feel like he's two different coaches, like on the road. And we've said, something wasn't working for the Dolphins in the first half and now it's working. How many times have we said, and I feel like that was a huge criticism of Joe Philbin, right? Remember Philbin in the third quarter, like I, there, like Mm -hmm. maybe those teams would get dominated in the third quarter. And there was all this criticism of of Philbin for that, which I think again was valid, but I feel like some of that with Gase, like I, I just, you know, once the game plan's not working on the road, he doesn't seem to change it. Now at home this year, you know he has okay i you know i think the titans game was a weird one because of the weather uh but the raiders game there was a clear shift there yeah. at home um i just don't feel like that happened at all today it's like and you know he's already reluctant to run the ball okay so you know that wasn't working early in the game he got completely away from it but i didn't feel like there was enough variety to get beyond that. So we probably should get into some of the specific factors here, but the overall thought on this today is huge, huge opportunity missed, not just in the standings, but a to bury the Patriots, at least as much as you can bury them at this stage of the season. And then the other thing is that would have happened. The national media would have descended on new England. And so that's another opportunity you missed. Okay. Because the pressure would have become intense. And some of those stories about, you know, Brady's trainer and a rift with Belichick on the offseason and the fact that Kraft really wanted to go forward, uh, you know, with, you know, with Brady, but Belichick apparently with Garoppolo, all of those things would have would have started to surface again. And the Dolphins just basically let the Patriots off the hook. That's the first thing. The second thing is they let the fans down. Okay. Yep. And, and and that and, and right. And that's gonna be harder to recover from. Right. So and, and that and that's something where the next time they have a, a good even if you know they reel off three more
2: victories and they're six and one, it's still well, when's the next difficult away game that you feel like is is a season decider and you don't think the Dolphins can win it. I, I just wanna very quickly go back to your point about Uh, Adam Gase. I would actually say it's almost the opposite in some respects. I think first quarters are Adam Gase's sort of biggest area of deficiency. And then I think it, it, I think where it kind of becomes more exacerbated is in these road games where they kind of become quicksand games and you just never recover from it. Like how many times have we seen that in the Gaseer away to Buffalo uh, last year at Baltimore and the London game against New Orleans last year at the Jets uh, where they, they just never get started, but it seems like most games they start Poorly. You look at the game against the Raiders. I, I I I just sort of took this out because you know for for pregame I was just kind of looking up. I just I don't feel like I'm seeing enough from the offense, and their drive charts kind of back me up. So today in in the first half it was four plays punt, five plays punt, three plays punt, three plays punt, one play fumble, which was the the, the mishandled snap, three plays punt three plays, end of the half. Against the Raiders, three plays punt, seven plays punt, three plays punt, three plays, punt, uh, three, three plays touchdown after getting the ball on, on the plus side of the field, six plays punt, three plays punt. Against the Jets, it was four plays punt, three plays punt, three plays, punt, three plays turno- uh, turnover touchdown, which uh, it was an interception that, that the Dolphins got the ball at the 15-yard line, and then they scored. Three plays punt, seven plays punt. So basically, they've only accrued 50 yards towards scoring a touchdown over three games and have otherwise surrounded it with punts and not, not even and not even eight place punt where you get to the other team side of the field, but the drive stalls where you, you get a penalty and the drives over is how many times do we see that today? And it just seems like they have a difficult time getting started, which for someone who prides himself on his play calling, like you said, that it's, you know, play calling plus coaching and he's never going to do it another way that, you would figure it would be the opening plays, the the the, the plays that you script, the plays you're trying to get your team going, and those are the ones that seem to be failing the most. I would say, actually, he's done a decent job with adjusting in the games where they're staying competitive. There are certainly the quicksand games where they just never get
0: out of it, but you'd have to say that it's the way that they begin games that is of concern, too. And look, um, if you're scripting plays, if you're known as this great play caller, then you should come out of the box pretty good, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, and his... His ball, you know, his mentor Mike Martz. That was the thing with Mike Martz—that the greatest show on turf. Now, slightly better players there, although some of those guys were not as well known before Martz got a hold of them, like say Kurt Warner, but certainly Tory Holt and and Isaac Bruce and Marshall Falk were pretty decent players. But so I understand there's a little bit of a talent advantage there, but he would come out of the box, and those first fifteen plays were death. Okay, like, yeah. like I mean, you just had no chance. Like, I mean, where Marshall Falk and and Bruce and, and Holt were going to go, and, and you know even Azakeem and i just I mean that group, I mean that was I mean it was wizardry, and I we just don't see that from Gase uh, often enough, and and that's why like I said week three was so encouraging because it was like oh my God it, it's in there for him and he's got a group he can do it with, mm-hmm. and then this week none of that. All right, Chris, we'll get back to today's episode here in a second, but want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, and that is Bet DSI. Com. And here's why you got to go to betdsi.com. You can bet on virtually anything and you can bet during games. So a result is going not as you expected, but you think it's going to turn around. You can absolutely go in there and place a bet. And if you put in the code Reason 101, that's Reason 101, your initial deposit up to $2,500 will be matched. So that's Reason 101. So, Chris, let's look at tonight. I'm looking yep. at betdsi.com. We've got Chiefs and the Broncos. The Chiefs are 3-0, obviously, ESPN, Monday Night Football. Broncos, kind of a surprising 2-1 at this stage. Looking at BetDSI.com, Kansas City a -a 3.5-point road favorite. Who do you like? I love a home underdog, and I'm always
2: a big fan, but I think it's one of those things. I think they're in Rams territory, the Chiefs are, where – I don't really care about the spread. I think the Chiefs are gonna win until proven otherwise. And I think, at this point, you can put just about any number in front of the Rams, and they'll probably take care of it. And I think the Chiefs, now, maybe hitting on the spread, if it was, you know, eight to nine points, they're not good enough on defense, but at three and a half, they should be able to easily outscore Denver. And I don't think Denver defensively is a team that's as intimidating as they used to be. But you mentioned the live betting. I actually took advantage of it over the weekend. It is a brilliant feature. So even, okay, so maybe you have a hunch going into the game you can watch maybe the first quarter and say okay going from here this is my feeling on the game so check out betdsi.com and again use the promo code reason101 all right so let's get into some of the details let's start first with uh, with the defense I I wouldn't put a great deal on them just because again they're missing important contributors and uh, have, not having Rashad Jones is huge and they've been put on the field again and again with I just read you the drive chart I mean the opening Patriots drive goes for 13 plays and then it's you know five plays interception five plays touchdown five plays uh, 15 plays to the to the, end, to, to, the end, to end the first half they were on the field. In total, for 75 Patriots plays after being on the field for 76 Raiders plays a week ago, they're beat up and they're being asked to do a lot. But even still, I think you can find some things in that performance that were not encouraging whatsoever.
0: No, and the worst thing about it is that some of their best players didn't play well. That, that, that's the thing that gets you a little bit. So, like, okay, they got nothing from Wake and Quinn. At all. All right. Mm -hmm. They got no no pressure on Brady. Um, Look, I'm not expecting huge pressure up the middle. They don't have Sue anymore. Not that he did that all the time, but certainly he was capable of it. But you thought, okay, if you're going to win this game, you needed Wake and Quinn to come to play. And neither of them made a huge impact. Um, They haven't really
2: done much really all season in the way of production. Now they've gotten some pressure. yeah. But in terms of getting sacks,
0: a little bit of a disappointment for me. Well, Wake has the one, right? I think Quinn had the one. There was a couple that have Quinn's forced penalties. Like I, I think they've been fine. Not dominant, but they've been fine. But I they were not they were not, you know, a factor today. Then you look at the, the back end. Look, you don't have Rashad that kinda of pushes everybody out of position. So I understand that's difficult. But look, Xavier Howard since week twelve last year against New England has been among the top two or three corners in the entire league. And we talked, you know, before this game that he had allowed fewer catches than he had interceptions this season. And today he just wasn't very good. And, you know, it's it's funny because Josh Howitz, who works for the Maven, you know, tweeted this out that Xavier Howard's been great against elite receivers. He can't do anything with Philip Dorsett. It, it's just, it, <laughs> it was, you know, I, it, it was it's strange. When you look at that group, okay, you know, whether, and I know not all of this was on him, but, I mean, that's a pretty crappy group of receivers that they have right now, okay? I mean, C- Cordrell Patterson is a guy that Minnesota did everything they could to try to get him to be a factor, and he wasn't because he can't run routes. And, you know, Philip Dorsett is a guy that, you know, I know Miami fans are familiar with him and maybe fond of him, but Indianapolis you know, could not find use for and then ended up trading him. I know they got a quarterback, but they got a guy who was at the time what the third string quarterback in New England. So uh, you're not talking about elite guys and those guys had days today and that just can't happen because, you know, the thing with Xavier Howard, and look, this is the reality now. If you're considered a superstar level player, if you're of the Sertan Madison type quality in terms of Dolphins, lore at that position you You gotta be you gotta be great every week you gotta be great every week and and you gotta be great against the teams that you really have an advantage against and he was not great today and so i i agree with you on the penalties i've watched both of them i think one of them probably was i think the other was a total ticky tack call but uh, you know the dolphins have been called for some stuff that's been ticky tack early in the year i mean the offensive pass interferences on grant and on stills Mm -hmm. uh were kind of imaginary but I mean that stuff is going to happen. And then and then juxtapose against the pick play that worked for the Cordero Patterson touchdown which right. you you did say to me at Texas
2: Roadhouse at least we're not going to hear you know the fans complaining about the calls but the calls definitely did play a role at the beginning of the game. Now the game probably gets away from you anyway but maybe the first half looks different maybe as Alfredo told me at, at, at Texas Roadhouse maybe going to the half down 6 nothing instead right. of 17 nothing and you can feel or, or what was it 20 nothing I don't remember. But uh, but It was it, a lot it, to nothing. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was unpleasant to nothing. Uh, and and maybe you feel a little bit better, and you can come on the second half, make an adjustment, and get back in the game. But but
0: it's New England, Chris. It's right. New England. Look, it's it's New England with the one and two Patriots team, and I you know I hate to say it, but you're just not going to get calls in that situation. You're just not, and so you got to play through the stuff. I know that was a huge one. I get it, but I'm talking about the rest of the game. Xavier Howard was not himself, and then you look at you know it's the only play that was made that you know swept up on the internet was the Minka Fitzpatrick you know, play, which was terrific anticipation and, and shows you why we like him so much. But nobody else on the team made a play. I mean, then they lost Bobby McCain to injury, and he's been a big factor for them. If that's serious, that's a problem. Um, you know, For their sake, they better hope it's not, because then you got to throw Tankersley out there, and he did not have a good camp. And, and so, and McTire, and this is where some of the depth issues are going to come into play. I mentioned Alonzo earlier. I don't think he played as well as his statistics suggest. And they don't. That's just the reality right now. I mean, until McMillan develops into something, they don't have another linebacker who's ever going to make a play. They, they just don't. And mm-hmm. so so their defensive ends, you know, we talked about the defensive tackles. Vincent Taylor and others had played well. I'm watching, though, this tape of the Sony Michelle runs and he's not getting touched for six, seven yards. Yeah. Uh, and th- a lot of those runs started in the middle and a then lot broke of outside. touchdowns today. Uh, I mean, just, I mean, nobody touching him. So they were getting blown up on the line of scrimmage. And we wanted to mention injuries here. And maybe I know we're kind of all over the place format wise, but I think it's fine because the dolphins were all over the place format wise today. <laughs> uh, but, but the two injuries, I think that have really, you know, are hurting them. You know, Josh sitting on the offensive line is hurting them. It, it's it's I, I don't know. They I, cannot they, block. They can't block on the interior, and then they lost Kilgore. And then I I've mentioned on a previous pod that Kilgore uh, has had trouble snapping, and then they have a guy in for one play that I'd never heard of, and and he screws up the snap. And so now you've got you know Kilgore if he's not healthy, and I don't think he's been great at all. But if he's not healthy, you've got you know Larson and somebody else at center on an offensive line that is struggling on the interior to get any kind of push. That's a real, real problem. And then defensively, we talked about it last week. The William Hayes injury was big. It's big because he's a guy that not only can play end, but he's a pro. He, and he, you can move him inside. He reminds me a lot of the guys like Kevin Carter and Vonnie Holiday that the Dolphins had playing with Jason Taylor during the Nick Saban years where they just do a job, right. They just plug up the middle. You know that they're going to be there. You know that they're going to, you know, they may not make a ton of plays for you, but they're going to take up blockers. They're not going to be out of position. And again, when you watch and, and, and Hayes was big in their third down packages. And when you watch today, just getting blown up at the line of scrimmage, push back five, six yards, and then you have suspect linebackers and a secondary that doesn't have Rashad Jones trying to chase and tackle an elusive, I, I wouldn't say Michelle's that elusive, but he, he's, you know, he has enough quickness, uh, you know, when he's at the second level, that's just not going to happen. And that's what you saw today. And that's why you saw guys taking bad angles. It's why you saw guys missing tackles, because there was there was nothing to disrupt the runners, whether it was white or whether it was Michelle, was Michelle at the line of scrimmage. And so I, the William Hayes injury did not, you know, sometimes we focus on like we're focusing on Devonte Parker, right? Like because he's a former first round pick. William Hayes, OK, is much more important to this team than Devonte Parker is at this stage. I agree.
3: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
0: much more not close okay well, but, okay so, so here's
2: the thing to me about the injuries right so you look at for example the Josh Sitton injury right so you look at week one Josh Sitton plays every snap and the Dolphins don't just hold their own on the offensive line against the Tennessee Titans a team who by the way has now won three consecutive games on the back of their defense they beat the Super Bowl champions at home today in overtime and uh, for me are a good team. They might not have a good quarterback. They might not have a good offense, but for the love of God, can we stop judging football that way? Is it the only way to be good at football is to have a good quarterback and a good offense? The Tennessee Titans are good. Like they have a good roster with good players and a really good defense. And the Dolphins weren't just able to have success against them. They were able to run the ball effectively. Frank Gore had 61 yards on nine carries. They, they were tremendous running the ball. Ryan Tannehill had all day to throw. And look, I'm not going to say that a left guard is the only reason why that happened. They might have just had a good day. It might have been a weird game because it was the lightning delay game. But even before the lightning delay, like they were playing fantastic as an offensive line. And then you put Ted Larson in there, and there's an obvious drop-off. And for me, it just highlights that you go from a, a unit that was good, to a unit that is ordinary or below average. In the case of the Dolphins' offensive line, abysmal. Like, there just is no getting around that in the last two games, the Dolphins have given the ball to Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore in meaningful situations something like 13, 14 times and basically have a similar number of yards. It's basically a one-to-one attempt-to-yards ratio. It's appalling. You look at the secondary, right? Yes, they're they're, they're still generating turnovers. They got another today off Tom Brady, but... It just hasn't looked. Derek Carr went for over 300 yards. Tom Brady was able to pick them apart. And again, acres of space all over the field. And Rashad Jones not being there takes them from being a good unit to an ordinary one. William Hayes being out. They were third best in the NFL coming into the day, stopping the run. And you saw the second William Hayes left the game, Marshawn Lynch was again and again able to, uh, to get what Matt Burke called leaky yards where you went from uh, what should be a two-yard gain to a six-yard gain. And while that maybe doesn't show up in yards per carry statistics or yards per game statistics, they're important yards that you're giving up. And William Hayes, uh, for me made that run defense that the Dolphins had over the first few games that was only giving up 3.3 yards per carry special and made it top five in the league. When he was healthy, the Dolphins' defensive line and their run-stopping unit was good, and now it's ordinary to below average to bad. And so you've had three areas that you could have considered strengths turn from strengths to below average areas by virtue of injuries, and I don't think you can just say, well, Ryan Tannehill, go be better than that, or Adam Gase, go be better than that. Like Those are massive deals that now in this world where I really don't think quarterback, and I was talking about this with Smooth today at Ballscast uh, on, on Twitter, and we were just sort of saying, well, if every, quarter, if every quarterback in the league is being asked to make these short throws and not turn the ball over and not take sacks and let your receivers get yards after the catch and play mistake-free football, if most quarterbacks are being asked to do this, then wouldn't the other areas of the team actually be the areas in which these games are being decided? And for me, the answer is yes. And so you do have to pay attention when William Hayes gets hurt. You do have to pay attention when your left guard gets hurt and your safety gets hurt. These are now important developments, and I think it made this Dolphins team that showed some real signs of being special in a few areas to now, again, we look at it it today and go, where were they good? And the answer is really
0: nowhere. And I think injuries have a real part to play in that. They do, but... We thought the roster was deeper, right? Like that was the point of the offseason, ro- that the roster that. was deeper. I I understand you can't fix the whole thing in one offseason. I get and that. And I, I
2: don't think most NFL teams can sustain that.
0: I don't think they can sustain no, but, multiple but also, starters Chris, talking, going out. Multiple starters. But again, I, look, and I'm talking about how big those two injuries are in particular. I mean, all three of those injuries. But, you know, if you were to say what are non-premium positions in the NFL – you would say, and William Hayes is basically a defensive tackle. You would say guard, defensive tackle, strong safety. Like uh, if you were to say, as opposed to quarterback, defensive end, cornerback, and off and left tackle. Like I, I mean, so yes, they are big injuries, and I'm I'm focusing on them. And those were areas that the Dolphins had had success, and now are having less success by far. And they don't seem to have good players. Uh, to, to fill in for them like I, look like they don't have an answer to replace Josh Sitton. That's clear like that. There's nobody on the Ted Larson can't do it. Okay, so they don't have an answer there. They don't have an answer um, as sort of a flex defensive tackle defensive end particularly. Now, with Branch not in the rotation either, that makes it harder. Okay. So that is an issue. And they don't have anybody close to what Rashad Jones can do because they're not even putting in a clone of him or a facsimile of him. They're putting in a guy like McTire or one of their other, uh, you know, corners or, or someone else just to fill out the six DBs. So I, I'm with you on how big these injuries are. But also, look, every team has to sustain, has, sustains injuries, has to deal with injuries. And let's look at New England. Okay. Edelman's not injured, but He's Stop a pretty free, he's a pretty freaking valuable piece for them, right? Like Gronk went out of the game early today. I know he was in there before. They've had other changes they've had to make to the receiving core. They've played over the past couple of years with a ton of injuries. So, I they lost, I'm they lost with, two important players to IR in the week. Right. And the Titans lost their three most important players during the game, okay, with the Dolphins. So, you know, I, I understand what we what you're saying. I'm kind of saying it too, but I'm also saying as far as leaning on it as an excuse, I think it's more to say what this has shown is that even at the positions that are not premium positions, they don't have the kind of depth yet to be able to kind of plug a guy in and move on and they just don't have that and or
2: or scheme because some teams just fig- like mm-hmm. belichick belichick would fix it with scheme belichick would fix it with i can plug in a guy and i can just ask him to do the same job that the last guy was doing and maybe he won't do it as well but he'll do it to a serviceable degree
0: Right. And, you know, the only year I can think of that the Dolphins didn't have any major injuries was 2008. Mm-hmm. And that's a big reason why they won 11 games like that team was incredibly, incredibly healthy and surprisingly healthy because there were guys on that team that had not been healthy before, but they were starting and, and with and their I- quarterback. Started with a quarterback, and and these things need to break right for him. And the only guy who got hurt the whole year we've had him on our pod was Camarillo, right? And you know I love Greg, but he was not an irreplaceable player. They had other guys on the roster who, like Bess and others who could do what he did. So it's just it's it's just something you've got to deal with. But like I said, they still have their left tackle, they still have their top corner, they still have their two top pass rushers, they still have their quarterback. If if you are a really good NFL coach, okay, and you have enough depth at those other positions, you can endure an injury to a Josh Sitton or a William Hayes and move forward. All I'm saying is, it's been clear that they can't. Okay, yep. it, it, it's clear that they can, and, and I think that's been a big thing. I know the other thing we wanted to touch on was the running game. The biggest thing, you know, you've mentioned Drake and Gore. The biggest thing that's jumped out to me is that it doesn't matter what the personnel is on the other side. The Dolphins still can't run. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like the Patriots started with six or seven DBs today. Like that is, I mean, that's an, inv- they're, that's a, they're begging you to run the ball, begging mm-hmm. you to run the ball. The Dolphins will not and cannot run the ball right now. And, and to, if you were to say, what is the big single biggest disappointment? And I know this has been an incredibly negative pod and we're going to turn it at the end and say they're three and one, but but <laughs> what, what, what the biggest disappointment to me this season uh, has been the inability to get Drake going yep. because I, I think both you and I when were, we were looking at who would be the breakout stars for this team this year. We both identified Kenyon Drake based on what he did the last five or six games of last season. And it just has not happened. And I know there are some dolphin fans who are starting to get upset about the rotation, like, why is Frank Gore getting this many touches? Now, Frank Gore did win them a game with that catch on a third and 19. So, I don't want to trash Frank Gore, okay? We know what Frank Gore has been capable and, of doing. And ev-
2: every team rotates running backs. Like it's They just, do, it's, but the, the Dolphins, the NFL.
0: But, well, we've, it's been so long since the Dolphins had a playmaker type at the running back position, mm-hmm. somebody who can hurt you in a number of different ways. And I understand the fans' frustration with saying, Why are we not figuring out ways to make that guy effective? Now, maybe some of it's on him. Maybe some of it's on him. Some of it's on the offensive line but some of it really is on the way they're using him.
2: Even when Kenyon Drake has played well, Adam Gase has never been totally forthcoming with his praise. I think he sort of, I don't want to say nitpicks, but finds obviously details in his game that aren't just, you know, he gets me 30-yard runs, but maybe he's not good enough in pass protection. He's not good enough in other areas of the game that are important as well.
0: Right, but he is a really good receiver, and that's something that Adam Gase values, and have they used that enough? I, I want to look today, and before we we go and sort of look forward here. You know, I'm looking at some of the stats. I mean, again, Drake, uh, you know, I mean, three carries, three yards, Uh, Frank Gore, 11 carries for 41. Those are most on that last drive though, when they were, yeah, we can't even count them. But even that, when you end up with the 11 carries for 41 yards, that's about what we expected from Frank Gore this Mm -hmm. year. Right. Like, you know, about, three and a half to four yards a carry, probably 10 to 11 carries. How is it possible? I mean, even if you're going to say, okay, you fell behind early and that the running game wasn't working up the middle. I mean, Kenya Drake had two targets. Okay. And three carries. And it was it was only it was only three nothing after the first quarter. So you're basically right. you're basically saying just this isn't working.
2: Like I'm not I'm not gonna bang my head against the wall when my offensive line can't run block and my running back can't create holes or, or create opportunities to get big yards.
0: I mean I'm looking at the targets. I mean how how is it possible that there were basically five opportunities for Kenyon Drake in the whole game? Yep. and and I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at the rest of the targets here, and I know Parker not involved today. Uh, still six Wilson six. Amendola three, uh, Grant two, Gore three, Drake two, Gesicki two, Smythe one. And again, you know, a lot of this came, you know, some of this came with Osweiler throwing five passes at the end and completing four, but I'd be curious to see what the snap counts were. I know this was a big issue for Chris Kaufman, CK Parrott of three yards per carry that Grant and Wilson were not getting enough snaps um, that Amandola was getting more, but uh, look, it, it's just, so, I mean, we could just toss out the stat sheet here. I don't even think it matters. I, I it's just, it's just the overall way that they played but also if i'm going to look at one stat it is going to be you know 5 total attempts to get Kenyon Drake the ball that that's just that can't that number needs to be 20 it just needs to be 20 well some combination of throws and runs it needs to be 20 it can't be five okay I, I don't care what the score is because if you're down if you're using Drake as a receiver out of the backfield that's fine okay but to just take him out of the game completely like we talk about Hayes Parker not being available. Jones not being available, Hayes not being available, Branch not being available, Sitton not being available. They made Kenyon Drake unavailable. Like, that's, I mean, they did that. Like, that, you know, you can say the Patriots contributed to it, but compare it to the way that New England used its backs, okay? Um, James White had eight catches, ten targets today. Uh, They used him in other ways as they tend to. Sonny Michelle had 25 carries. James White had eight. So if you take James White, he had 10 targets and eight carries. That's 18. Sony Michelle had no no targets, okay, but had 25 carries. 43 opportunities for their backs. For the Dolphins, Drake got five. I mean that's just it's insanity, and that just needs to change. So, you know, as we go forward, I know we're going to pivot here because they're three and one. But, uh, <laughs> but, but today was a total abomination. All right, we'll get back to the episode here in a second, Chris. But look, if you're going to gamble on games, you got to have as much information as possible. You would not buy a stock unless you knew generally what the chart of the stock was, what people thought of the stock, where it might be going. The same is true of sporting events, and that's why we're hooked up with BetQL app. So you got to go to at BetQL app on Twitter or just download the app. It's BetQL. You can get it for free on iTunes if you're on Apple or on Google Play if you're on Android. What's some of the cool information that you can find in there, Chris?
2: Yeah, you can find the line movement. Where is the money going in a given game? But I think more importantly, they just sort of give you value, right? So they believe that let's... So I actually thought that they nailed one. So they had... Uh so the spread between Michigan and Northwestern was Michigan by 15 and they were saying that they think that it should only be Michigan by 9 and that the public was hammering Michigan but they didn't agree with it and next thing you know Northwestern loses by 3 and if you follow the advice of BetQL you were a winner with Northwestern plus 15 so all kinds of great information available at BetQL finding value finding trends that you can use to make money so you can go to the Google Play Store on Android or the App Store on iTunes and go and download a BetQL so you can bet smarter. All right let's look forward now and get to where this Dolphins team is up next. Now in terms of you know if they're bad on the road their next opponent is not much easier. They're away from home against Cincinnati coming up next and that's a team that performed really well today in Atlanta and has had a real bounce back season and I, I, I don't think that that matchup looks any better than today's. Uh now they, they did lose, you know, they're they're also mass unit two. They lost important players. They were they were already without Joe Mixon then they lost Giovanni Bernard in the game. So they're actually down to one running back and that was the former Hurricane Mark Walton. But uh, you just it's a team that is scoring a bunch of points right now, has a defense that can be smothering at home and create turnovers. So that doesn't look promising. But sort of generally, do you think that this result kind of has the a sort of similar effect as it did on University of Miami teams when they used to lose to Florida State every year and they weren't able to bounce back? Do you feel like there's a sense of sort of emperor's new clothes about this team where maybe they start to feel themselves like they're not ready to be a top-level contender?
0: Well, I I was just, you know, and again, I'm not there, but I was looking at some of the quotes in the locker room and they were were very familiar, as you said. And and I think it's natural for some doubt to creep in here. Um, You know, Cincinnati is a better team than they're given credit for. I think that they've done some good things the past two years to kind of restock a roster that at one point was as talented as any in the NFL. Mm -hmm. You know, there were questions about the quarterback, but uh, they've got some guys playing at a very high level again uh, that hadn't, for a couple of years, and then they've added some youth there. Obviously, you know, the mix and injury has been a factor, but but they have, I mean, look, AJ Green is still playing at a high level, and Andy Dalton is still good enough to beat you. He's not good enough to get a team anywhere, but uh, he's good enough to beat you. And We saw that on the last drive today, you know, on the road to win a game against what I think Beal is a, a pretty good one and three team in Atlanta. So this is not an easy challenge for the Dolphins. Uh, with that being said, you know, again, I, I just think there's something different about them going up to play New England and I I tried to look past it today I picked them to win the game I thought that they were ready they weren't and so yes some doubts going to creep in and now we have the McCain injury that you got to worry about because I do think that's a big factor particularly you know you've got Xavier Howard is probably going to lock up with AJ Green but then you know what you do on the other side if you don't have McCain becomes an issue and and also you know I, I just think that the Cincinnati defense has some has the ability to make things uncomfortable for the Dolphins. So I, I'm 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 at this point where I don't know what to predict with this team because I, I've seen seasons go sideways after they lose to New England, but I also saw enough good over the first three weeks that I hmm. feel like it could be slightly different. I, I just you're you're not ready to throw it all out. I'm not ready to throw it all out, but I, I think the fans are, and and I, I don't like to make too much of the fans, Chris, but I think in this case. Hmm. Uh, that does matter because I I just I I feel like the air just went out of the balloon today completely. But that's and but it's
2: if, because it's it's false expectations. They've let the air right. out of the balloon so many times, and again, and it's something that is I wouldn't say bothersome to me, but something that that we encounter that I encounter at the very least in sort of you know arguing, particularly with our Heat beat guys. Well, you know, I I always am kind of arguing. Well, what what's that difference between the Heat and the Dolphins that? at the moment obviously the history is is massive but at the moment right like I think the Heat and the Dolphins are in pretty similar positions and it's basically that you don't have years worth of heartache like even if what's happening right now for the Heat constitutes as heartache like it's not terrible. Like, you're making the playoffs every year. You're getting in playoff series. You have, you know, some players who are developing. And if this is what heartache is, like, you're pretty spoiled as an NBA franchise. Like, you can be the Kings. But right. I, I, I think that the Dolphins are the Kings. And so I think the Kings are going to take a while before any of their fans start going, well, we're going to be really good this year. Like, right. the, 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 the default setting is always cynicism. And while that sucks sort of from a personal vantage point because I really like the Dolphins and I grew up loving the Dolphins and I really want them to be good and I want the community to get behind them, like you can't expect them to when these kinds of games are opportunities all the time and they constantly, it's not, because again, if you lose 27-24, that's one thing, right? You play a close game, you're competitive and Tom Brady just bends, you sort of lets you know why he's one of the best ever. Again, that's one thing. But to get totally, overwhelmingly, Destroyed in this mm-hmm. game, it just it reinforces every bit of trauma to overstate it that every Dolphins fan has. And now you got
0: another road game, and right. and, and that and that's that that's the big issue. Is you know this is going to be the conversation point this week. I think is is why is this team so different on the road, and and that's it's a question that Adam Gase needs to answer. I mean, but with with the play of his team, because mm-hmm. like I said, good coaching travels. And you're not going to be – look, you're not going to win 70% of your games on the road. The Patriots don't, okay? But, I mean, you need to be – if you're a good team, you need to be winning 50% of them. Or you just need to, and, just and need take to turn in home.
2: a performance that looks like what you look like at home. Like, even in the Jets game – I don't think the Dolphins are very good on offense. Like, maybe they scored some points. Maybe, maybe Ryan Tannehill had a good quarterback rating. Maybe they made the play at the end that won the game, but they scored 14 points off turnovers. Like, they were not good on offense in that game, and I think in generally, more than anything else, their offense doesn't travel. And that, as you said, can fall squarely on the shoulders of Adam Gase.
0: Right. So he's got some questions to answer here. And and like you said, they need to get off to a faster start. Um, I I just, you know, what he designs during the week has to work early in a game uh, for once. And it's got and it's got to be the focus. I mean, as we finish this, I'm going to go write something for Maven about Drake because I still I just can't get over it. I can't I can't get over. I know the reluctance that Adam Gase has to just run the ball all the time. But there are other ways to use Kenyon Drake, and you know he has to be—you have—he has to be a weapon for you, um, because it's easier to make him a weapon than it is to make Kenny Stills a weapon, because there's too many other things that need to happen with Kenny Stills for that to occur, and a lot of that is on Tannehill, right? So it's not only Stills beating his guy, which I don't know if that happened much today because. Uh, I wasn't watching it closely enough, but it ha- not just Stills beating his guy, getting open, but it's also Tannehill making the right pass to him. But but in, in the case of Drake, it's really just about getting him the ball in, in places he can be effective, and they haven't done that yet. And so I'm waiting for the breakout there. We're still kind of waiting for the Gasicki breakout, and everybody made a big deal of last week, but still not kind of what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Particularly with an season. opportunity with Derby out. Right. So, I mean, right. They have one tight end. The other injury... and. I'm gonna say again, okay, if these are the kind of injuries that are killing you, your team is not that good. But an injury that does seem to be hurting them is Marquise Gray, another one that didn't get talked about, because he was their best combination tight end. He was a tight end that you could put on the field in all situations, and he'd be a serviceable receiver, but a good blocker. And they don't have Fasano anymore. And so Marquise Gray was kind of filling that role and not having him, they've had to play Smythe a little bit more this year. And so, you know, as a rookie. And so now you're really playing two rookies at the tight end position all the time. That makes it a little bit more challenging, but anyway, we'll get more positive as the week goes on. I feel like we were ultra, ultra negative after we were ultra, ultra positive, but I feel like that's what Dolphin fans were like. Yes, I, that's uh, lo- looking at Twitter today. It was like, ah, oh, they're the and, same. And I think it's okay to, to, to ride the emotional wave because
2: you know what? Like, every NFL season can be different. Like, the Jags probably went into every season thinking we're going to be terrible. They went, You know, they were drafting in the top five for a decade. The next thing you know, they're in the AFC Championship game. Like, it can change in a season. And so, as, as I told uh, Jack Arfonso of, of Heatbeat in our group chat today, I'm going to be that sucker every time. Every time the Dolphins start 3-0, I will be in. Because every year can be different. That's that it's, it's the nature of the league, so I feel better about it.
1: Hey, I'm Josh Appel. And I'm Billy O'Rourke. And we are the hosts of Five Reasons Sports Network's Pro Wrestling Podcast. spark your territory where we bring you the hard-hitting well, wrestling. No, well, not, no, we don't want to, It's not too hard-hitting because you don't want to hurt the other guy. It's more of a dance we're trying to do here. We're trying to keep it. Protect, protect the other guy. Yeah, of. you want to protect okay, the Okay, so guy. maybe we'll go more in-depth. Yeah, that's good. That's better. spark your territory. Five Reasons Sports Network's Pro Wrestling Podcast with the most in-depth wrestling talk you'll find.
2: You want to very quickly hit on the canes here before we go uh, and just sort of the way that they performed against North Carolina. My God, that defense and the defensive touchdowns is just so impressive. And, they're, they're overwhelming in some areas, and then there are other areas where they're playing a spread team, and I think they struggle to handle it sometimes. But going into FSU week as a major favorite at home, uh, and I think the FSU, we talk about sort of fan base enthusiasm. Their fan base enthusiasm has to be at an all-time low when you consider what happened last year, and then they're following it up with struggling to win at Louisville, coming back from two scores down. Now you're a major underdog at your rival after losing to them last year. This does kind of feel like a spot for Miami where, I mean— we didn't see enough from Mikosi Perry to really feel confident, but uh, you'd have to say as 13-and-a-half-point favorites going into this game uh, that Miami kind of has to win this one.
0: Well, they're not playing the best team in the state because um, that's UCF. Uh, they're playing uh, – uh, throw, I'm throwing careful, that careful. out there for careful. a War on I-4 podcast, guys. Uh, they, they're playing. They're just playing FSU, and we can talk about rivalry games and throw out the records when these two teams play. No, don't. Uh, <laughs> not, not, not this <laughs> it seems time. This team's bad. It seems bad. Uh, that, Right. FSU is broken at this stage. It's going to take, look, if they stick with Taggart, it's going to take them a couple of years to fix it. You're right. The defensive touchdowns, I mean, I, you know, I, I felt a little bit bad for, you know, Malik, you know, about this, because if the defense had played at that level, right, uh, then, you know, we or might if they had not to run the ball at that, that level. Right. So, but, but I feel like they figured out their running game a little bit more. Now the offensive line has also been better. And, and I think that's a big factor because I thought we talked about them struggling with that early on. So uh, look, they're in position to blow out FSU. I-, I feel like they need a blowout against, and I'm not saying FSU is a good team because mm-hmm. I don't think they are, but they need against a name team. They need, they sure. need, a, they need a blowout. I think because now we're starting to look down the road and you know, you're looking at some of these other teams and it's going to be crowded. It's uh, you know, and Clemson did not look great yesterday. Uh, but but, th- I, but
2: thank God for the conference that they won anyway. Because if they lose at right. home to Syracuse with their you know, star quarterback going down injured in the game, and if they're heading towards an 8-4 and four season, the, the Hurricanes could legitimately have run the gamut, won all their games, and not gotten into the playoff because the ACC would have been that unimpressive with everything that's happened in the conference. So Clemson kind of staying alive. Maybe Kelly Bryant comes back, and it, it, then you can play them in the championship game and, and have an impressive victory. But you're right. Right now this schedule looks like it's nothing.
0: It's nothing. And so, you know, the Canes may end up there sitting there with one loss going into the ACC championship game, and they do need Clemson to be healthy and to rebound and then to beat them. But even then, if you just look at the strength of schedule, there's going to be a bunch of one loss teams, I think. And, you know, mm-hmm. watching that Ohio State Penn State game, you know, I feel like there are a couple teams in the Big Ten that might be in that kind of situation. I feel like there are a couple teams in the SEC that might be in that situation. I don't know about the Pac-10 yet or the Pac-12, I should say, but I, I, I just think you know Miami has to have some impressive wins at this stage it's not enough to beat somebody mm-hmm. by 10 points and even last year even last year when they got off to the 10 and 0 start you mentioned Syracuse some of these other games remember how many of those games you know Miami had to come back in the fourth quarter make a play Georgia like that. Tech, can't, Georgia Tech, I
2: mean, they needed a miracle to be Georgia
0: Tech at home last right, year. Right, that can't happen against FSU. Sure. Like, this needs to be a three-touchdown win. Um, Perry needs to be impressive. The defense needs to play at that kind of level. And, uh, and then, obviously, everybody will jump back on the bandwagon because, look, Uh, The Panthers are starting up here in a week. I mean, we just taped an episode with George George Richards, uh, and we're going to air that one this week also. And you know, the Heat, you know, just played their first preseason game as we're speaking. So uh, there's a window here still for the football teams. And as you know, some people say, "Well, it's still a football town," but there's a window for them to kind of regain the enthusiasm. And I feel like a big win against FSU, the casual UM fan who's not paying attention to the disaster. In Tallahassee right now, and Willie Taggart. If the Canes put up forty on FSU and beat them forty to seventeen, Canes fans are going to start getting excited again. It doesn't matter if FSU is not good, okay? We know there are a lot of Canes fans that are casual Canes fans, okay? They're not Canes alums, or not UM alums. They're just the people who follow the team when they're good, and if they blow out FSU. Again, they're not paying attention to FSU's too deep right now. They just – it's FSU, okay? <laughs> right. they, so, see the,
2: they see the name. They
0: see the logo. They see that it's that, being that's played that's on all national matters.
2: television, and
0: I'm in. That's all that matters, and they didn't put the game at 8 yeah. o'clock. They put it at 3.30 because they took Notre Dame, ABC did. But uh, we'll, we'll see, and, and we may have an episode and, on that uh, sometime this week. And I
2: will say uh, two things. First off, you mentioned the, 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 the laissez-faire fans. The atmosphere at Hard Rock Stadium is amazing for these games. I, even for FIU, it was good. For the North Carolina game, it was really good, so fair play. But even, like you said, with these blowouts, they just got done destroying North Carolina. And it wasn't even, you know, noon on a Saturday mixed in with other important games. They had a primetime standalone game, and they went down a spot in the rankings. And it wasn't like a power program jumped them, it was Kentucky that jumped them. Into, and, and they remain undefeated in the SEC, so like it's not exactly the most impressive teams that are, getting the, that, that are sort of getting the love right now, but yeah, I think if they beat the hell out of Florida State, which I think they're well capable of doing, I think they get some more credit. All right, that'll just about do it for this episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. As Ethan mentioned, we'll be talking to George Richards later in the week of The Athletic. We'll also be talking to John Crotty, the new television analyst for the Miami Heat, as we continue to build up to the Miami Heat season. And he already made his debut, but he'll kind of hear his thoughts on his forthcoming regular season as the the as the Miami Heat's analyst on television. Now he's going to handle that work as well. So check that out. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the other podcasts and the 5 Reasons Sports Network. Check out our sponsors, BetQL and BetDSI. Thank you for joining us.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.